0: If you are here for your very first time, um, you won't be aware of this, but we've been in a series of thoughts, a series of um, scriptural Bible thoughts surrounding two words, chronos and kairos. Many of you will be aware of the word chronos because of your chronological time, your watch, your piece of time on the wall, whatever it is. Your piece of time. I didn't know what to call that. I know that's a clock, but that's a digital clock, a Kronos clock, and we're all we're all dictated to by time. I, I can't I can't wait. I've got to go. I've got to be somewhere. I've got this appointment. I've got somewhere to be. I've got dinner in the oven. We've got to be home on time, and, and our lives are dictated to by 24 hours a day, 86,400 seconds per day. We are locked into you know the 27th. 27,000, 27,000 seconds that you sleep. 28, 27,000 or 28,000. Depends if you have eight hours, all right. 28,000. Uh, 28,000 seconds that you're at work. Um, our lives are sort of boxed into, I've got to sleep at this time. I've got to work at this time. I've got to... But our lives are wrapped around time. In fact, time is running out. So I better chronos is where we're really thinking, okay? Forget, Kro- forget Kronos, let's think of Kairos. Kairos time, God moments in our journey. You know, the, you think of your journey of your life, where you're up to, where, wherever you are in your age. I'm 50-ish, 50, uh, 57, okay, I'll, I'll give you a clue. I'm 57, <laughs> closer to 60. That is an awful thought. How... Thank you. Time is, time is moving on, Kronos. Anyway, in my 57 years, I've had so many Kronos moments. Moments where it's like, that must have been a God moment. I remember at the age of seven going to what was called a Dick Saunders crusade, huge, great tent crusade. There were about 5,000 people there. There, were, there was a choir. There was a guy preaching. And I remember at about age seven, walking forward at this tent, convicted of my sin. I, think, I look back at it. I think, what, what was I doing that was so bad at age seven? But I just knew in my heart, God was at that moment calling me. He was saying, you need me in your life. And, and, and I truly did. I played truant from school. I stole football cards from my dad's shop. I, I did I nicked biscuits out of the biscuits in. I, I did things that I wasn't meant to do at age seven and I knew that I had done wrong and therefore I needed God in my life. Journey of my life moves forward. Um, And then at the age of 16, I'm living quite a rebellious life. I'm I'm, I'm going to church because I feel I ought to, have to. And and I'm sure we've all been through that stage at some point. But there was one particular service and the minister at the front, uh, it was a baptismal service. And the minister said, if anybody else would like to be baptized, feel free to come forward. I I don't know why I did. I wasn't living for God. I wasn't living in his ways, but I just felt convicted in my soul that I needed God at that moment. It was a Kairos moment. So I went forward, I uh, got baptized. It was, it, was a, it was a holy moment. It, w- it was an awful, in some senses, moment when the water went up my nose. Everything in my nose also came out the other way. It's like I, thankfully, I was the last one getting baptized. Anyway, it wasn't, a, it wasn't a good experience when I came up out of the water and I'm going... Oh, this, and this. Anyway... It was was a God moment. I knew that God was bringing conviction to my soul. Then I I wandered off. I did crazy things. And you know my test me, some of you. And it was just a crazy moment in life. Then I walked into this church. I was in the pubs and the nightclubs. And I walked into a church on Sunday. I was traveling all around the churches trying to find nice young ladies at the time. And and we walked into this church that seemed to be, as a young man who's... 1920. An old church. It just seemed like an old church. But it was, it was the closest one to where I lived. As I walked in, there was a God moment. It was a Kairos moment. I saw this young lady. It wasn't nothing about God. It was all about this young lady. And I nodded to her, winked to her. I knew that there was a... I, God, this is a God moment. Well, no, I didn't. I just fancied her. Um, and, <laughs> But God uses Kairos moments like that. Anyway, I fancied her. I liked the look of her and all the rest of it. So I walked out. and said, I'm going to marry her to my brother. And I didn't go back to church. I just went to another church trying to find. And then there was a Kairos moment. These, These are God moments. This same young lady came knocking the door, inviting whoever was behind the door to the carol service in church. And I said, It's you. And then I started to go to the church and there started to be this connection and we went for an Easter walk and it was like I spent the whole time on this Easter walk talking to this girl that I gave the nod and the wink to. God moments, it was just wonderful. Anyway, we, we, I took her back home. I, was, I, I couldn't hang at the door. I couldn't stay at the door because I, I needed the bathroom. I legged it home or legged it around the corner wherever I went. But the next day I met her again and we talked and, we, and then we started the date. Then partway through in three, this three-week window, I told well, the first time we were together, long story, So, First time we were together, I told her everything. Two and a half hours, I told her every bit of rubbish of my life, who I was, who I wanted to be, and the junk. Told her everything. Then we started to date. Then somewhere in that two-week, two three-week period, there was a God moment. I was watching snooker. I was a big snooker fan, and I loved playing snooker. Jane was at my house, and we were watching snooker. Anything that I liked, Jane liked. It was great. It was just great. So we were watching snooker. We must have had a cuddle and a kiss. And there was this moment that changed my life forever. And I felt the unconditional love of God hit me like I had never experienced in my life. And I hadn't cried probably from the age of seven. I hadn't been able to really show emotion. I'd got so hardened in my heart to life and people and everything. And at that moment, I broke and cried for two hours. I, it was uncontrollable. It was a God Kairos moment where it changed my life. My heart, the Bible says, He takes the stony heart and He gives us a heart of flesh. That was a Kairos moment in my world. God used a person to so impact my life that it changed me. You know about my journey in Sedgley Grove as a postman, and, and I heard the call of God, feed my sheep. My thought was, feed them what? I wasn't reading the Bible. I, 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 I hated reading. I, feed them what? It was a Kairos moment. Eleven years later, the Kairos moment, the dream that I had had, came into being. And I was handed a church to continue to run. Another Kairos moment. And, and, And I could go through probably year after year of incredible moments throughout that time. And events that took place during those times. And I can honestly say that we have been walking in a Kairos moment from the moment we preached, started preaching these thoughts. And at some point, we will share the testimony of the journey that we've been in since starting the series. But it's incredible, because every single life in this room, there are God-ordained moments. And And knowing the time that we're in, knowing the kairos the specific reason that you were born that you were, you were birthed into this earth for a time and a season such as this don't don't look back and say well I had my time no god's not finished if you've got breath in your lungs god's not finished with you you may be you may be 80 but God is not finished with you. Was it Caleb? At eighty said, Give me this mountain. Give me this mountain. He wasn't finished at eighty. Give me you could run your best marathon, Phil. But serving the Lord. Serving him with all of your heart. The the latter years being better than the former. See, that's, that's God all over, isn't it? You know, there's going to be the former and the latter reign that come together. God doesn't, God doesn't get, God can't get worse. He only can get better. And I believe in our journey with him, that as we seek him and walk with him and follow him, our Christian experience will go from where it was to only getting better. It's only us or the enemy that gets in the way. But we can see God come through stronger and better let's not get so focused in chronos that we don't see the kairos moments of our life kairos is looking for what is trendy or trending what's in or what's being relevant at the particular time that's all about chronos but god is kairos and those Kairos moments that come. And Nehemiah, in the Bible, he's just such a class character. You know, many of you would know the story of Nehemiah. Some of you may not. But he's in, cap- he's in <laughs> captivity. He's been taken off into Babylon. He, he's, you know, he's a way away from his homeland of Jerusalem. And... He's in this situation where he ends up being the cupbearer to the king. Basically, he's a slave in in the king's palace. um, And the reason why he's the cupbearer is because the kings in that time were often tried to be poisoned. So as the cupbearer, it wasn't a very particularly uh, envied job. So what you would do is you would take hold of the king's cup and just hope that it's not been poisoned. You take your drink. I'm not dead yet, so it must be all right. That was what the cupbearer was there for. So it wasn't the most enviable job. But he was there in the king's palace as a cupbearer to the king. And what happened in his life is he had a heart for the city of Jerusalem. He had a heart... For his homeland. He had a heart for where he was brought up. For where his ancestors were dead and buried. He had a heart for that. And do you know what? It's so important that we have a heart for what God wants to do. And when we know what God wants to do, that we give our heart to doing it. And here in Jerusalem, uh, here in, in Nehemiah hears what's happened in Jerusalem. And his heart breaks for the city. And in this Kairos moment, King, king Artaxerxes, er, Artex it's not the easiest word, in this moment of serving the king, Nehemiah has a Kairos moment. And I want to read this to you. In Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 4 to 8. So he's heard all the news of what's happened back home. His heart is saddened, he's prayed, he's mourned, he's fasted, he's declared. He's beginning to declare what God is able to do. And then he goes before the king. In Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 4. Then the king said to me, what do you request? And this I, I remember Alan saying many, many years ago. He said, so I prayed to the God of heaven and said to the king. Sometimes we think we've got to pray and pray and pray and pray and pray and pray pray and pray and pray and pray and pray and I've got to kick down that door and I've got to knock open that wall. But you know what? He didn't do any of that. He prayed to the God of heaven and said. How quick does God answer prayer? He prayed to the God of heaven and then said to the king. That must have been a mighty quick prayer. And he says to the king of heaven, if it pleases the king. And if your servant has found favor in your sight, I ask that you send me to Judah, to the city of my father's tombs, that I may rebuild it. Then the king said to me, the queen also sitting beside him. I wonder why it adds that. I just think it's just funny. I said to Pastor Jeff and Jane that was stood by him, it's like, who's, who's the most important here? Is it, is it King Artaxerxes or is it the queen that happens to be sat with him? It's interesting. Anyway, um, I just thought it was quite amusing. Um, how long would the journey be? So he's asking this question. And when will you return? So he said, it, so, it, it, so it pleased the king to send me. And I set him a time. Furthermore, I said to the king, if it pleases the king, let letters be given to me uh, to the governors of the region beyond the river that they must permit me to pass through till I come to Judah. And a letter to Aspher, the uh, keeper of the king's forest, that he must give me timber to make the beams for the gates of the citadel, which pertains to the temple, the city wall, and for the house that I will occupy, occupy. And the king granted them to me according to the good hand of my God upon me. It wasn't the king gave me because he was feeling generous. Or the king did this because he was, he was being kind on this particular day. Or that I've served him really well. He said, and the king granted me according to the good hand of my God upon me. The king had no choice in this. Because the good hand of God was upon Nehemiah's life. And the king had to come in line with what God was doing. When there's a kairos moment in your life, regardless of the circumstances, if God is in a kairos moment in your life, he will change everything to make sure it comes to pass. This is a foreign king who was an aggressor towards Jerusalem. And now he's saying, yes, go and build. Yes, I'll give you letters. Yes, you can have as much wood from the forest as you like. Yes, you can have this. And at the beginning, he says, but how long is it going to be before you return? And then partway through, Nehemiah is saying, and I will build a house for myself. It doesn't sound like he's returning. If you're going to build your house back then, then there's no way you're going to leave there and come back again. And there's just so much here. That if you look at it, you see the hand of God in this moment. The hand of God is upon our life. The hand of God is upon every one of us. From the youngest right the way through to the eldest. That as we walk through life, as we trust God with the journey of our heart, he will lead us and guide us and direct our path. And as we trust him, he will lead us in the paths of righteousness, the paths that are right for us to be on. We may make mistakes at times, but as we trust in the Lord with all our heart and lean not on our own understanding, and in all our ways we acknowledge him, he will direct our path. That is truth for every one of us. And, and here, here, he has to trust God. I can't, I can't convic, convince Artaxerxes to do these things, but God can. I can't make him provide wood, but God can. See, when, God, when it's a God moment, God provides. When it's a God moment, he changes situations. He brings the right people in. He promotes you to a place where you never thought you would be. He brings a new person in charge to make life better for you. Why? Because God has your best at heart. Isn't that a wonderful thing? That the God of heaven has your best at heart. We just need to trust him in the journey. Because the journey is not always easy. But if we trust him, he will get us from A to B to C to Z in the end. But we just trust him along the way. The journey may be hard and tough at times. And I do not belittle that. The journey for us over the last few years has been a hard and difficult journey. But we have seen the good hand of God upon our journey. We've seen him protect and deliver and, and, and just keep us focused on him. In the hardest times of worship, and we just stood here and there was nothing we could do except worship him and trust him in the journey. He has always come through and been faithful. Always. At some point, one day, we will share the full picture of the journey. But God, trust him. In the journey, when everything else looks like it's dead and gone, still trust him because he can make dead things live again. You know, when his anointing touches, when his anointing, when there's a Kairos moment and his anointing touches a situation in our life, it comes alive again. Those hopes or dreams that you once had, that that, that hope that you had for your children, that that desire that you had for a situation, don't ever let it fail and be a, a past memory because God is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above and beyond all we can ask or imagine. He is that kind of a God in our life. Otherwise, if he's not that kind of a God, he's not God at all because his word tells us that's who he is. We've got to believe that he can do above and beyond. A due season had opened up for Nehemiah. Go and build the walls of Jerusalem. For us, what is it that Jesus is asking us to build? He's not asking us to build a wall. He's asking us to build his church. He said he will build his church. What is he asking us? He's asking us to co-labor with him. He's asking us to build with him. Oh, it's his church. Wherever you go, it's his church. But are we co-laboring with him? You know, I, I loved this morning. Uh, you know, I, as I walked in, I, I saw um, Annabelle in the kitchen getting ready for with Stacey for hospitality. I thought, yes, brilliant. You know, it's, it's, not, it's not the older generation who have a tendency to do everything. But it's a younger generation rising and a middle-aged. No, younger generation rising. <laughs> <laughs> middle-aged compared to Annabelle. There <laughs> oh. you go. Anyone got a shovel? Quick. <laughs> I was kidding. I was kidding. Um, Nehemiah, let's get back to the message. Anyway. Nehemiah, we need so he built a wall. We're building a church. I'm not talking about bricks and mortar or tin or whatever, I'm talking about a body, a gathering of people who love God. We're building God's house. Don't look at me like that. <laughs> I just <need> to go. <laughs> Well, We've got ages yet, you're okay. Nehemiah, <laughs> Nehemiah too. So what did, what did Nehemiah do first? This is what he did first. So I came, he came to Jerusalem. He came to the house of God. He came to the situation. He came and saw what needed to be done. So I came to Jerusalem and there I was for three days. Then I arose in the night, I and a few men, and I told no one what God had put in my heart to do in Jerusalem. Nor were, there any, uh, nor were there any animals with me, except the one on which I rode. And I went out by night through the valley gate to the serpent wall, uh, serpent well, and then to the refuge gate, and viewed the walls of Jerusalem which were broken down, and its gates which were burned with fire. Then I went out to the fountain gate, and to the king's pool, and there was no room for the animal under me to pass. So I went up in the night by the valley, and viewed the wall. Then I turned back and entered the valley gate and so returned. And the officials did not know where I had gone or what I had done. I had not yet told the Jews or the priests or the nobles or the officials or the others who did the work. He had told them nothing of the kairos moment that he was called to do. And I love Nehemiah's heart. He went and saw everything that had been broken down. Burned with fire. He saw, the, the saw with his eyes the natural evidence of the desolation that was there. And his heart wasn't, this looks impossible. It was, I can do it. We can do it. But he hadn't asked the we. At this moment, it was, I can do this. Because God, the God of heaven, has called me for such a time as this. And Nehemiah's heart is just saying, hey, this may be impossible to man, but not with God. I wonder how many of us have journeyed through life. Or you may be in that moment right now and you say, it looks impossible to man. I want to tell you, it's not impossible to God. Your healing may be impossible to man, but it's not impossible to God. Your loneliness may be impossible to man, but it's not impossible to God. Your family being so lost and distant, you may look and you may feel this is impossible to man. But I want to tell you, it's not impossible to God. To build the building across the way it may look impossible to man, but it's not impossible to God. Is that going to be too small? Yes. Do I want a bigger building? Yes. It's impossible to man. We've not got the finances, but it's not impossible to God. So I stand here like Nehemiah and say, wow, what a work to be done. But it's not impossible To God. And I just want you to hear that in your heart today. Whatever it is you may be facing. Or the situations that you're dealing with. Or the negative financial income that you have. What is impossible to man is not impossible to God. God can turn it around. Because he is the master of turning situations around. He knew The moment he was in Nehemiah chapter seven, uh, chapter two, verse 17. Then I said to them, he's gathered the people, he's gathering those around him. Then I said to them, you see the distress that we are in, how Jerusalem lays waste and its gates are burned with fire. Come and let us build the wall of Jerusalem that we may no longer be a reproach. And I told them of the hand of my God, which had been good upon me, and also the king's words that had spoken. So they said, Let us rise and build. And they set their hands to this good work. I'm just going to throw this out to you all. Come on, let's rise and build. Come on, let's rise and build. Let's rise and build this house for God. Let's rise and get involved in what he's calling us to do today. No, today is the day of salvation. Today is the day to get, to get busy in God's house. Come on, let's rise and build. Come on, rise and join a team. You've sat long enough. You've been, been a spectator long enough. Now let's get on the pitch and play. I'll tell you, as someone who loves football, there is nothing worse than standing there watching them play whilst all you want to do is get out there. Sorry, you're watching them play, and all you want to do is get out there and do it yourself. But the old legs don't work as fast as they used to, and and they run past you, and you're thinking, oh, they've gone already. And it's like, it's so frustrating. But there are things I can do. I can still play snooker. I can still play bowls. There are things I still can do that I can't do. I can't do some of them, but there's some things I can. Now, I understand that is the same principle in the house of God. There may be some things that you can't do, but there are definitely some things you can. Come on, church. Let's rise up and build. Come on, let's rise up and build. Let's rise up and build. Oh, I've added something. There's a sheet of paper near near your chair. And I've added on there a befriending team in the church. We need a befriending team. What's a befriending team? Someone who will come along when someone's sick or they're taken out for some reason or they're uh, in need of, of just someone to come and knock their door and chat with them. Not pastoral. Just knock the door and say, we've been thinking of you. I need a befriending team. reason I'm highlighting that, well, it's, going be on the, it's going to be on the... Pete, my brother, has been absent from church pretty much since November. How many people have phoned him, knocked his door, gone round? Point in question. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands. Point in question. That's one person. But then there's others. I need a befriending team. I could be running around being the befriending team to everybody in church, but I can't do that. So I need a befriending team. I need a pastoral support team, who then go that step further and they go to hospital visits or they they're, they're walking with those who are struggling in their marriage or they're struggling with the loss of a loved one. I need that. I can't be everywhere all of the time. I am human. <laughs> Come on, let's rise up and build. Oh, you may not be able to do that. Can you cut grass? We're coming into grass growing season. The grass in this place grows three times faster than anywhere else in the world. (laughs) It's weird. This is holy ground. There's something in the soil. I don't know what it is, but it grows lush, green and fast. I need a grass cutting team. Anything from that to the other. They said, let us rise up and build. And then they set their hand to this good work. I hope that you're having a Kairos moment where you're saying, it's time to help. It's time to rise up. It's time to relieve those who are doing so much so that I can lift the burden and the pressure off of them to do something, even if it's small. Nehemiah built a wall seven miles long 20 to 60 foot high in 52 days and they weren't Irish <laughs> the Irish worked like Trojan Irish builders, labourers they, they were known as the guys to have on your team I worked on the building sites so if, if you had the Irish with you you knew you could build quick yes. they, were <laughs> 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 they didn't have Irish guys there on that team but they had people who were willing to build. <laughs> willing to build the house. Can we measure our response? There's something interesting that was going on. Because this is what happens when you hear, hear a message like this. And this is what happens. Nehemiah needed everyone to help in a way for the construction. Just like we do today. But there happens This is what it looked like in Nehemiah's day. Those who built on the wall, Nehemiah 4.17, those who built on the wall and those who carried burdens loaded themselves so that in one hand they worked with construction and the other they held a weapon. In other words, they had a trowel and they were troweling and working on building the wall. In this hand, they had a weapon. So if the enemy came running, they were... They, didn't, they weren't running around with their trowels. They were running around with a weapon. They had one where they were building the house naturally, or building the wall naturally, and the other they were on guard of the enemy. Let's not just be servers. Let's be worshippers. Let's not just be Marthas. Let's be Marys. But don't just be a Mary and not be a Martha. We need both working together in the house of God. Every one of the builders had his sword girded by his side as he built, and everyone, uh, and, and the one who sounded the trumpet was beside me. They got involved in a huge way. I want to finish with this last scripture. It's going to be a moment. But the moment that you feel convicted or you feel this is the right moment to step forward, you will hear another voice. And that is a voice of distraction. Because that is exactly what happened with Nehemiah. The voices came, oh you can't do that. Oh that's not for you. Oh no, another season, you're busy enough right now. Guess what? The most important thing that you're on her on this earth for is to build what Jesus said he was building. Not your own empire, not your own kingdom, not your own finance, not your own home, not your own mansion. It is the kingdom of God. That is the most. you will get the greatest satisfaction from building his house." And this is what happens. The voices start to come along. Nehemiah chapter six verse two says, "Then, then uh, that Sambalat and Gershom, or Geshem, sent to me saying, "Come." Let us meet among the, village, the villages of the plain of Ono or Uno, depending how you want to pronounce it. I would like to pronounce it as Ono. Oh, <laughs> All right? So we're going to pronounce it that way just for the sake of fun. Come, let us meet together among the villages of the plain of Ono. But they thought to do me harm. Oh no. So I sent messages to them saying, I am doing a great work, so I cannot come down. Why should the work cease while I leave it and go down to you? But they sent sent me this message four times, and I answered them in the same way. They tried to get Nehemiah. They didn't go for somebody else. They went for the head guy. And he turned around and said, oh, no. I'm not coming down from the work that God has called me to. The place of Ono in the Hebrew means the Valley of Craftsmen. What was Nehemiah? He was building a wall. He was was instigating this craft of a wall. He was a craftsman and had craftsmen working for him. And they tried to lure him to a village called the Valley of Craftsmen. It sounds like a good place until you know the name of the place, the name of the person of the place. And the name of the person of the place is called grief. Whenever you leave what God has called you to do, you experience grief. You may not know how that feels on the inside, but there's a loss. That loss may not be just to you personally, it may be to the whole house. But when you leave what God wants you to do and you do what you want to do, you experience grief. And when I saw that, I thought of those who have left the good work that God had once called them to and now in a place of grief. That's sad. The place where God wants us to be is building and gathering together in his house so that we walk in the good things of God. He does not want you to step out of his plan and experience isolation, separation from the body and grief in your life. Whenever the enemy or ourselves leave the work of the Lord, we're positioning ourselves for grief. Too many of God's people have been kept away from their calling or their kairos moments by an enemy who wants to draw them to a place of, oh no, what do we do now? Why am I here? Where is My strength? Where is my support? Where is my apostolic covering? Where, what, how? And there's this isolation that goes on in a place of grief. Nehemiah had the call to build the broken down wall. 52 days. We have the call to build his church. What an incredible gift! That is, it's not. It shouldn't become wearisome or burdensome for the team who worship. I don't hear anybody saying, "Oh, please, could I have a week off?" It's wearisome and burdensome to worship on the team. I don't hear anybody saying that. I would be up here with them if you could bear my voice, because I I love worship. Well, I love singing. I love making a joyful noise. Let's go there. But it was, it was Nehemiah's Kairos moment that he then shared with everybody else. I believe it's our time to build his church. And my invitation to every one of us is come and build with me. Come and build with us. I love... I was going to say, I love Carl, but I love, I love Carl's heart. There we go. That's a better way of putting it. I love Carl anyway. Carl, well, I made, a, I made an announcement a few months back about um, Karen hands specific and how you, know, you may not be able to give time or you may not be able to give money, but you may be able to do something. At the end of that meeting, Carl comes bounding over to me, so excited. And I was thinking, what on earth is he getting so excited about? And he shares with me just a very simple way in which he couldn't give time, couldn't give money, but he could do something in his marketing IT job. And all of a sudden, so many areas have opened up to Karen Hands because there was a God moment, a Kairos moment. Something landed in your heart that day. And it's really empowered and helped with caring hands. Are we looking for those Kairos moments? Because I believe they're there for every one of us. I'm going to pray as we close this morning. I just want to pray. You know, you may be here and you don't know Jesus as Lord and Savior. That could be your first Kairos moment. Where you encounter the love and the warmth of God in your heart. That's, that's the most important moment in your life. When you know that your sins are forgiven, that your life is brand new. I want to pray for you this morning that you encounter a life-transforming moment that will happen and change the rest of your life. Gonna pray, gonna pray a very simple prayer. I'm going to ask everyone to join in with me. This may be the first time that you're praying it or the first time you're praying it sincerely in your heart. But I'm just going to invite you to join in with everybody else that's praying this prayer this morning. At the end, what I'm going to do is I'm going to ask if you prayed it sincerely. You know, sometimes we can pray these things out of the emotions or out of of, because everybody else is done. But I'm going to ask you if you prayed it sincerely and you want to make Jesus your Lord and Saviour, You just pop up your hand and pop it back down. I'm not going to ask you to come out. Just ask him for an acknowledgement. We can give you a Bible and a couple of other um, information books to help you on that way, okay? So let's just pray together. Jesus, I thank you for Kairos moments where heaven and earth collide. Today, Jesus, you've spoken to my heart. I thank you. That I can respond to you. I open my heart. And I receive you into my life. As my Lord. And my Savior. The one who died on the cross. To forgive me of my sin. Come into my life. I ask in Jesus name. Amen just while every head is bowed and every eye closed. Such a significant moment in every Sunday that we do church. If you prayed that prayer and you prayed it sincerely in your heart, I'm going to count to three. I'm going to ask for a simple response of a hand up and a hand back down. One, two, three. If you prayed that prayer this morning, just pop up your hand. Thank you. I see that hand. Is there anybody else in the room? You say, yeah, count me in. I don't want to miss this moment today. I want Jesus to be the Lord and the Savior of my life. Is there anybody else that would like to join this gentleman this morning? I'm going to count down from five. Five. Four. Three. Two. One Father, I thank you, Lord, that this day a heart and a soul has responded to you. And I pray over their life, Lord, that they would encounter you as the living God who saves us from our lost eternity and gives us new life in abundance. Lord, I pray you'll pour out your love upon his life this day. But for all of us in this room, for each and every one of us, Lord, I pray today that we would encounter that Kairos moment where we would say, we can rise up and build. Lord, just drop that in the hearts of your people this day, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.